John chapter number 9. Book of John chapter number 9. Let me just take a moment and say I'm glad to have my oldest brother, Bruce, uh, with me this morning from Oklahoma. Would you greet my brother, Bruce? Wave at us, Bruce. He is a pastor in Oklahoma, and actually right now he's the interim pastor of a church that he started uh, 10 years ago from scratch, uh, resigned it a, a few months ago, about three months ago. Now he's back as interim. I, don't, I think the interim is going to fall off too. Uh, I think once a pastor, kind of always a pastor, but uh, he got to slip away today. His wife was uh, gone on a trip. Uh, to Washington, D.C. for uh, business, and uh, he got to slip off and spend some time. So I'm glad my brother is with me this morning. Well, let's look in the Word of the Lord in the book of John, chapter number 9 this morning. We're going to be uh, begin reading with verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation today. The Bible says that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. While I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked him, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. I want to use verse 3 this morning as my text. Jesus said it was not because of his sins, it was not because of his parents' sins, But Jesus said, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. I'm using for my subject today, we're going to be talking about God's purpose. Father, I thank you, first of all, because you have a purpose for everything in my life. That nothing happens by happenstance. But everything is a part of your design and plan and purpose for my life. God, I just pray today that you will help us to glean from the word of the Lord today. Give us ears upon our heart today. And Lord, let us not only be hearers, but but may we become doers of the word of God today. You're anointing to break any yoke of hindrance or bondage in this place today. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. And you may be reseated. 
this morning. Well, as I've already stated this morning, God has a purpose for everything. Absolutely nothing happens in our lives by accident. Now, now if we truly understand this, I, I think that we would probably pay closer attention to the things around us. If we've really understood this, perhaps we would be more attentive as we walk through our trials and difficult circumstances. Now, in the account of the healing of the blind man that we just read a moment ago, Jesus said there was a purpose for the blindness of this man. And Jesus said that the purpose was so that the power of God could be displayed or showcased Through this man's life. I don't know why you are going through what you are going through today. I don't know for sure, but but perhaps it is so that God can demonstrate his power in and through you. Andre Crouch wrote a powerful song many, many years ago entitled, Through It All. And some of the incredible words of that song are, So I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys, and I thank Him for the storms He brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I'd never know my God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. I want us to take a look at the healing of the blind man that is recorded in John chapter 9. And I want us to see how that, that this story is relevant to you and I right here this morning. There are five things that I pulled from this story this morning. That's not all that's in there, but it's all we have time for today. The first thing that, that, that I see in this story is the inquiry. The inquiry, and it's found in verses 1 and 2. As Jesus and his disciples happened on to this blind man, the disciples asked Jesus. They say, Lord, whose fault is it? That's an interesting question. Here's this man that, that, that is blind. He's been blind all of his life. And the question that the disciples have is, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it, they asked Jesus, that this man was born blind? You see, you see, they were convinced that sin, it was their theology that, that, that if anyone was sick or if anyone had a, had a problem, it had to do with sin. They were convinced that sin was the cause of this man's problem. And they said, Lord, they said, was it the sin of this man or was it the sin of this man's parents that brought judgment and punishment to him in the form of the fact that he's blind? I think it quite interesting that the disciples were more interested in the cause of this man's blindness than they were in the cure. I don't know about you, but to me, it just seems to me that that, that there's not even one ounce of sympathy or compassion for this man. But instead, there seems to be a judgmental attitude. Well, 
They surmise and think out loud. There had to be some big time sin going on in this family. For this man to reap the consequences of. Oh, oh, it might be the result of his sin. It might be the sin of his parents. But sin is involved in this somehow. That's all that they could think of. Somebody has sinned here. But wait, just a cotton-picking moment this morning. Aren't we a lot like the disciples? Are we not quick to judge people and their situations too quickly? Are we not quick to share our shade tree analysis and diagnosis of the problem of our fellow man? We see the man on the corner holding up a sign that says, Help! Homeless! We'll work for food! And we immediately judge him. We hear of somebody's house going into foreclosure and immediately we think, Loser! Man, he's a loser. Can't handle his money. Needs to grow up. Act like a responsible citizen. Huh? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Where's the compassion? Where's the concern? Where's the love? And think about this for just a moment. The disciples had already seen Jesus work miracles. They were there. They watched Him feed 5,000 hungry families. All you can eat fish and chips out of a little lad's lunchbox. They had watched him tell cripples to to get up off of their mats, to stand up and to walk. They had even witnessed him raise the dead back to life. And here they see a blind man, but not one of them asked Jesus to heal him. Their inquiry or their question is, whose fault is this? Lord, who do we blame this on? You and I need to learn a lesson from this. Instead of judging and placing blame on people, we need to show them some compassion. We're in the process, church, of moving from New Bethel to the Grace Place. But what good is the Grace Place? What is good is a name if we move ungraceful people to a Grace Place. That's why this year is the year of preparation where God uses this year to prepare our hands logistically, prepare our hands for the people that He wants to bring to us, but also that He uses this year to prepare our hearts. Instead of judging and placing blame, we need to show them some compassion. We need to reach out to them. We need to help them by telling them about Jesus And by doing whatever that we are capable of in a monetary way. Second thing that I see in this story is the instruction. And the instruction is found in verses 6 and 7. 
The Bible says Jesus walks up to this man, that he bends down in front of him, that he spits on the ground, that he takes the mud that he has made from the spit and the dirt, and he smears it on the man's eyes, and then he tells this man to go wash the mud off of his eyes in the pool of Siloam. You know, we sometimes just read the Bible and we don't think. I wonder what must have been going on in this man's mind. Who are you and what have you just done to me? But he's a beggar. So he's just about willing to go through anything. To get a penny or two. Who are you? No doubt he's thinking. And what in the world have you just done to me? And you want me to do what? Where? Has God ever given you a strange instruction? Has God ever told you to do something that was outside the box? Have you ever prayed and asked God for something or asked God to do something for you and God responded by giving you a weird or strange instruction? You see, God's ways are not our ways. We better understand that. God's ways are not our ways and they never will be. And let me tell you that God doesn't ask us to understand Him. He doesn't ask us to understand His ways. He only tells us to obey. Tithing doesn't make a lick of sense. God, I'm already struggling with my money. You know, my outgo already exceeds my income. So now my upkeep is my downfall. I'm already struggling, God, in this area, and you tell me to give you the first 10% of my income? It's about like putting mud on your eyes and telling you to go wash. Hey, turning the other cheek when somebody slaps you? That don't make sense. But Jesus said, if somebody slaps you on the one side, offer the other side of your face. What? What you talking about, Willis? Now, I know it's child abuse now, but I grew up in the era where where some parents slap their kids. <laughs> and, and I sassed my dad one time. You don't do that and live. <laughs> and my dad believed in punishment, you know, for what was done. And I sassed, so I get slapped in the face. <laughs> my dad says, pull your hand down, boy. <laughs> I said, Dad, you're my dad, and I deserve it, but ain't no way these hands are coming down. 
Hit me if you can find an opening, man. <laughs> what? If somebody slaps you on one side of the face, Jesus, Jesus said it. It's in red. But here's what I've learned. It took a long time. But here's what I've learned. I learned this one pretty quick, but I've learned that if you honor God with the first 10% of your income, that He'll take the 90% that is left over and He will bless it and He will stretch the 90% and the 90% will go further than the 100% ever would go. I don't understand it. It all makes sense. But it works. Here's what I've learned. This one took me a little longer. I've learned that when I punch somebody back that punches me, the fight escalates. But I've learned that if I turn the other cheek and refuse to fight back, that this usually stops the fight. The wisdom writer put it like this in Proverbs 26 and 20. He said, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Well, what happens when we turn the other cheek? Yeah. Listen, when we trade punch for punch, we are in essence adding fuel to the fire. But when we turn the other cheek, it's like putting out the fire by not adding wood or adding fuel to it. Listen, we may or we may not understand God's instructions. But listen, if we are wise, if we are wise, we will follow them and live by them. And if we follow and live by them, our lives will be enriched and blessed if we follow the instruction of the Lord, whether we understand it or not, whether it makes sense, whether it's logical or not. The blind man in John 9 didn't question the strange instruction of Jesus. Here he is standing there with mud on his eyes. The only thing worse than being blind is having mud on your blind eyes. Thanks a lot, buddy. You really helped me. But he simply obeyed. And because of his obedience, when he washed the mud off of his eyes, his eyes were open and he could see for the very first time in his life. Maybe you're here today and you too are blind. Oh, maybe not physically blind, but maybe you're here today and you are spiritually blind. And you have wrestled with the, with the God thing your entire life. And you have tried to rationalize God. And you've tried to come to grips with faith in a logical manner. But may I tell you this morning, your eyes will never be open to God through logic. Only when you reach out to Him in faith. Faith will open the spiritual eye. I ask you today, will you exercise your faith today and reach out to God? Because God says that if you will draw nigh to Him, God said if you will reach out to Him, God said He would reach out to you. Well, the third thing that I see in this story is I see the investigation. And the investigation is found in verses uh, 8 through 15. You see, after this blind man was no longer blind, 
As he went away seeing, he ran into friends and family and people that knew him. He he met people that have known him all of his life. He had always been the little blind boy. And then he became the blind man. But now he can see. And there's absolutely no doubt about this miracle. And yet, some said, some said, this is so-and-so, the little blind boy. Oh, that we saw growing up, the blind man now that sets and begs for all. Oh, the one that begs for money, the one that we give money from time to time. But look, he no longer is blind. But some said, the Bible said, no, it's not him. (laughs) Must be his twin. Must be somebody that looks a whole lot like him. But that's not, it can't be him because he's blind. Oh, hear me this morning, church. Doubt always looks for a reason not to believe. And Satan will always tempt you to doubt. And how often has it happened to us? We ask God for something or we ask God to do something and it happens. It happens. But instead of praising God for it, instead of thanking God for it, instead of giving God the credit, we think and we say, ah, it just happened. Just a coincidence. I'm learning to give God credit for everything. See, if I take credit for what's going on at New Bethel, if I take credit for what's going on next door, (laughs) I'm going to have to keep it going. I just can't do it. (laughs) But if I give God the praise, the glory, the honor, the credit, it's on Him. I'm learning to give God credit for everything. I'm learning to praise and glorify and magnify and thank God for everything positive and everything productive in my life. Let me say this again this morning. God has a purpose for everything. Nothing happens in our lives by accident. All the situations, the circumstances, the relationships, all of these are a part of God's purpose for us. All of these are a part of God's strategy. All of these and more fit into God's plan for our life. The fourth thing that I see in this story, I see the intolerance. (laughs) That's found in verse 16. The Bible says Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, some of the Pharisees or religious leaders... Rejected Jesus. Here's what was really going on. They, the Pharisees, were more interested in the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And here's what was really going on. They were more interested in their law than God's law. 
See, Jesus never broke God's law. Now, if you read the Bible and you just read it, it seems like that he did, but he never did. Jesus never broke God's law. But man took God's law and added his two cents to it. Huh? See, there was God's original law, and then there was what became the tradition of the elders. What was the tradition of the elders? Hmm? I may charge extra for this sermon. There was God's original law, and then there was the tradition of the elders, or what the religious leaders added to God's law. And Jesus paid no attention I do need my hanky. Jesus paid no attention to the tradition of the elders. Fact is, it seems that he broke these laws on purpose. I'm not saying Jesus was a smart aleck, but... Jesus said in Mark 7, verse 13, He said, you make the true Word of God ineffective through the traditions of the elders that you hand down. I could have brought some of this stuff up last night, couldn't I, Bruce? What about us? Are we more interested in our little traditions and our little pet doctrines than we are the true Word of God? Are we quick to bring division over some little bitty pet peeve of ours that has absolutely nothing to do with salvation? Or do we try to unite by looking at the essentials of salvation that we agree on? I, I, I tell the people who attend my membership class to become a member of New Bethel Church. I tell them, you, you don't have to dot your I's and cross your T's exactly as I do in order to be a member of this church. Yeah, you'd never get in, brother. 
He's my buddy. He has special privileges because he's a pastor. So he, pastors get special privileges. And his son's not here to pull him down. So. But I do. I tell the people that join this church, you don't have to cross your T's and dot your I's exactly like I do in every area in order to be a member of this church. I tell them that as long as you understand and agree with the essentials of salvation... Pastor, what are the essentials of salvation? The essentials of salvation is that Jesus is the Son of God. He has always been and always will be. But Jesus, the Son of God, became Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus was born through the sinless virgin of a a girl named Mary. Jesus lived his entire life and did not sin even one time. And then Jesus took the sins, your sin, my sin, the sin of all past, future, uh, present age upon himself on the cross. Jesus took the penalty and the punishment for our sin on the cross and the blood of Jesus and our trust in the blood of Jesus that and that alone saves us and that Jesus came back to life as victor over death hell and the grave and that Jesus did for us what we could never ever do for ourselves that is the essentials of salvation and this and this alone is what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ so I don't fight against the Methodists. I don't fight against the Baptists. I don't fight against the Seventh-day Adventists. I live with them, actually. Do they see everything the way I see it? No. They think we're as wrong as we think they are. But I'll tell you what we do agree on, and it's on their sign out there. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what makes us brothers. Amen. Not whether you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. I speak in tongues every day. That doesn't make me more spiritual than those that don't. Makes me sick when we try and throw our nose up in the air like we got something they don't have. Man, if it makes me sick, what does it do for God? Not whether you speak in tongues or not. Not whether you believe in the pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, or no-trib rapture. I can stand up here all day and talk about doctrines that are important doctrines and I, and I have my thoughts on it and my beliefs and, and, and I preach it and let me go on and tell you even though you don't have to dot your I's and cross your T's like I do but if you're going to teach in this church you'll dot your I's and cross your T's like I do <laughs> you don't have to dot your I's and cross your T's to be a member but you're going to have to dot your I's and cross your T's uh, like I do in order to be a teacher because Paul said we ought to all be speaking the same thing because if this one's saying this one and this is saying that and somebody said else, something else we're causing division so I'm not talking about leadership right now. I'm talking about membership. But you see, just as there was much intolerance in the days of Jesus, little has changed. Now, am I opening the door of tolerance for sin? Absolutely not. But hear this. Sin is what God says it is. Not what your tradition says it is. I may get run off after this. I may not make 10 more years. 
But I do some things today that were against my, that were sin in my tradition when I was growing up. And I do it today and I do it with a clear conscience. Because you see, I'm not serving my daddy's God anymore. I'm serving my God. I found my way. I'm not saying anything wrong or bad against my dad. I'm just saying, you know, that I just were taught and trained and a lot of stuff was traditions of the elders and not that saith the word. And so somewhere along the way, I had to start reading the Bible for myself. Well, it doesn't actually say thou shalt not go to the movie. I thought it did. Because when I was a little boy, there were three of us in our school that didn't go see Mickey Mouse. And it was the A.G. Preacher's kid and the United Pentecostal kids. Everybody else went to the den of iniquity and saw Mickey Mouse. I never could understand I could watch Mickey Mouse on Saturday morning on TV, but I couldn't go down to the den of iniquity and watch it. Where's all this coming from? I don't know. Now you know Pastor goes and watches Mickey Mouse. I got three direct granddaughters that like to go see Mickey Mouse. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Amen. I'm glad you know because I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, am I opening the... The door of tolerance for sin? Absolutely not. But sin is what God says it is, not what your tradition says it is. And in Romans chapter 14, Paul talks about what we should eat and what we should drink, what we shouldn't eat, what we shouldn't drink, what special days we should observe or not observe. And bottom line, Paul sums it all up by saying, it's okay if you eat or if you don't eat. It's okay if you go or don't go. It's okay if you do or don't do, as long as you can do it in faith. As long as your conscience is clear, you don't have a conviction against it. Paul says, go do it. Do it as under the Lord. Do it in faith. It's fine. Amen. But he also said that if you can't go and watch Mickey Mouse, and my dad can't go watch Mickey Mouse, he can't. Amen. And I, I respect that. I have no problem with that. Just don't force that on me. Amen. Okay? Hallelujah. Paul said if you can't, eat certain foods or foods offered to idols, if it pricks your conscience, if you're convicted, don't do it. Because if you do it, it's sin. But if you can be mature enough to understand that food offered to idols, well, the food is good. It's not spoiled. An idol is nothing. Just wood or, or stone. So it changes nothing. You're hungry. It's food. An idol's nothing anyway. Go for it. Amen. But if you can't do that in faith, then don't do it. Amen. But then he summed it all up by saying, yet, even though I can eat it, I can watch Mickey Mouse, I can whatever, whatever you might want to put out here. But if my brother stumbles over me going to watch Mickey Mouse... Then not because of me, but because of my brother. Hallelujah. 
I'm not telling him. I'm going. <laughs> Paul said, if I, what I do or don't do offends my brother or comes, becomes a stumbling block to him, for the sake of my brother and for the sake of my testimony, I will or I won't participate, whichever one applies. And I'm out of time. We're number five. And let's hurry with this one this morning. Number five, the influence. And the influence is found in verse 3. When the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that, that brought this punishment of blindness on this man? The disciples were convinced that this had to be a judgment for somebody's sin. Let, let me pause here because I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. Let me pause here and say sin does cause consequences. And some people are suffering because of sin. And the sin of one does affect others. But sin is not the only cause of problems. Jesus answered the disciples' questions by saying, This man's blindness. Say, this man's. Jesus didn't say, Every blindness. Jesus said, This man's. This man's blindness has nothing to do with sin. He didn't say there's nobody that is blind as a result of sin. He didn't say that. He said this man. This man's blindness has nothing to do with sin. But Jesus said to them, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. You see, God uses every situation in our lives to influence others. He uses both the good and the bad, the bitter and the sweet. And we better know that we will be held accountable for what we did or didn't do with our influence. Musicians and singers get in place again this morning and I'll finish quicker that way. But everyone else, please focus on me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there we will each one receive what we deserve for the good or bad that we have done in this earthly body. Friend, God has a purpose for everything that is going on in our lives. We may or we may not understand His purpose. Hey, we may or we may not agree with His purpose. See, I believe everything in this book, but I don't agree with everything in this book. Let me say that again. Some of you are... I believe everything in this book. I don't agree with everything in this book. Because I can't put my little finite mind around the infinite mind of God. I can't think like God thinks. Because I'm not God. One of the ladies in the church told me a funny story one day. said she was sitting about a third of the way back in the service and her little grandson was sitting by her. We had a guest speaker that morning and he pointed up at the guest speaker, her little grandson, and said, that not God. And grandma said, you're right. That's not God. He just represents God and he speaks for God. 
And her little grandson said, that not God. And he pointed over to my chair and he said, that God. Well, everybody here except four-year-olds know I'm not God. So I can't understand God. I can't understand. The Bible says that His ways are so far removed from our ways. They're as high as the heavens are from the earth. So it's okay that I don't agree with everything. It's okay that I don't understand everything. But I believe it. Romans chapter 9 and verse 20 says, Paul says, Who are you, a mere human, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one that created it, Why have you made me like this? Can you imagine a GM product coming out of the other end of the GM plant up here on 360? And that GM product looking back and saying, why'd you make me like this? Can the one that's just been created ask the creator? Who are we to argue with God? Of course we don't understand everything. We're not God. We're not God. I'll tell you what I've learned. That is, I've learned that it's just better to just trust God. Just trust Him. And just yield yourself to His divine purpose. And people are watching our lives and they're taking notes on how we act and how we react. And we will be held accountable not only for our own life but also for the influence that our lives had on other people. Whether that was good whether that was bad. See, I may not be nice, but I'm nicer. Because for almost nine years, I've been hanging around with a nice man. And they don't get any nicer than Pastor Houston. And so his nicey comes off on me a little bit. People are watching. People are paying attention. People are taking notes. And we will give an account. We stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. What we did or didn't do. About the influences that we had in this life. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me conclude today with one of my favorite scriptures. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Paul says, and we know... We know that God causes everything to work together. Paul didn't say God causes everything. Paul said God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God. Not for everybody, but for those that love God. And are called according unto His purpose. Not your purpose. His purpose. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord that has been shared today. God, I am so grateful and so thankful today that you have a purpose for all of our lives, that nothing happens by accident or happenstance. Nothing. 
even the most insignificant things that happen in our life all are a part of the whole. First of all, I thank you that you love me enough that you'd give me purpose. God, I just pray that you'll help my life fulfill the purpose and the plan you originally had for me. We only have a couple of minutes this morning. We're a little bit late. I actually designed this sermon to go short and it went long. So you never know about the notes. But if you're here this morning and you may be saying, I may or I may not understand God's purpose and what I am going through. I may or may not like or even agree with God's purpose and what I am going through right now. But I submit myself to His will and I yield myself to His purpose. If that's you this morning, I want you to come to the front this morning. If you're willing to fit into that that I've just said this morning, that ought to be every one of you this morning. Come on. Don't make me come and pull you down here. Come on. Get down here this morning. give God some praise in this place. Well, we are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest, don't forget to turn in your connection card at the Welcome Center. And don't forget your dinner theater tickets if you're planning to come tonight. God bless you guys.